Well, good morning, Louisiana Baptist. It's good to be with you today. As our video points out, at the 2025 Southern Baptist Convention in Dallas, Texas, indeed, we will celebrate 100 years of the cooperative program. And as you know, one of our own, Emmy Dodd, pastor then of First Baptist Church in Shreveport, was the mastermind of the cooperative program. Louisiana Baptists, some are fearful that the anniversary of the cooperative program comes at a time when we ought to be deciding upon a new giving strategy other than the cooperative program. But I say to you, I'm not ready to give up. I'm not ready to give up because while we are meeting here today, 93 Louisianians among us will die and go to hell. If statistics of missiologists are true, that's the number. I'm not ready to give up. I'm not ready to give up because of our international mission board force scattered across the globe this morning. Among those is one of our own, many of our own as a matter of fact, but particularly one who would have no doubt been here today and would have been on the program today. I'm speaking of Dr. Dustin Stockstill, who this time last year was our executive board president. But today, along with his wife, Kelly, and their teenage daughter, Dustin is in Europe as one of our brand new International Mission Board missionaries. So I say to us, let's not give up on what God has raised up and send out the greatest missionary force known to modern Christianity. I encourage you to stop by our cooperative program and stewardship booth today, along with the International Mission Board booth today, so that you can gain even more information and resources to help educate you and your congregation on how we can maximize gospel impact in Louisiana and across the world through our cooperative program, Gifts. Before I go any further today, I, I want to take a moment to thank Pastor Fred Luter and the wonderful staff and membership of Franklin Avenue Baptist Church. As a former pastor who uh, sometimes hosted such events as these, I know that it's not an easy task, Pastor. And, and in fact, in many ways, can be inconvenient. But we thank you. You've been incredible. You've been incredible hosts. You've opened your incredible facility and your hearts to us and have served us well. We appreciate you. In addition, I, I want to thank publicly our entire State Mission Services staff, your State Mission Service staff. When we leave here today, many of them will be very much engaged over the next couple of days in YEC. And so we move from this right into that. And so I want to publicly thank all of them for their hard work. Would you help me in joining together and giving thanks to these folks today? And I want to thank our president, Dr. Reggie Bridges. Thank you for your friendship and your steady hand of guidance in this meeting uh, and really throughout the year. 
I also want to recognize one of our retiring strategists. As you may have heard across the, the way in the last couple of days or weeks, Stacy Morgan will be retiring at the end of uh, this year. Stacy has served Louisiana Baptist well in a variety of roles. And so I want you to take a moment and join me in honoring Stacy. Stacy, where, where are you? Are you here? Are you in here? Well, you'll see Stacy in the hallway. And I want you to be sure to join me in honoring him and to use this as an use this meeting as an opportunity to express your personal thanks uh, to Stacy for his years of uh, commitment and service, integrity, and serving us here, at Louisiana Baptist. <clears throat> well, happy birthday, Louisiana Baptist! It's been 175 years since 13 men met on December 2nd, 1848. I don't think any of them are here today. But I am grateful for those 13 men that gathered in Mount Lebanon, Louisiana. I bet most of you didn't know that there was a mountain in Louisiana. I think I've read somewhere that it's 535 feet above sea level in Louisiana. That makes it a mountain. And there those 13 men gathered in Mount Lebanon. And so we have a commemorative bookmark clip for you today. You'll receive that when you go to your lunch break. And so I hope that you will get yours and I hope that you will use it. And I hope that each time that you see it, that it will be a reminder to you uh, to be thankful for our cooperative mission our cooperative work, and that you will pray for our cooperative endeavors together. I'm intrigued by James E. Carter's assessment as he writes in House Upon a Rock of his assessment of the circumstances in 1848. Listen to what he said. Baptists in Louisiana were hardly united in 1848. By the mid-19th century, Baptists in Louisiana were at a crossroads. They could continue with no unity, little direction, and primarily local interest, or they could continue to unify around a common cause and move forward together. Fortunately, they chose unity, basically to accomplish missions and education, end quote. As I think about that, I'm reminded of something that I say often, and that is every generation, every generation will have its false alarms of crisis, and then every generation will have its real life crises. Some of those global, like we are experiencing today in many respects, some local, some, as some of you are experiencing today, very personal or individual. As I draw your attention today in this message time to Hebrews chapter 12 and 13, I remind you that these original followers of Jesus, these earliest disciples of Jesus, also lived in a time of crisis. First, there was a theological crisis. 
These folks were struggling to identify exactly who Jesus was. Second, because there was that kind of theological crisis alongside of it, there was also a political crisis. Christians were being persecuted because of their faith in Jesus Christ. This political crisis brought about a personal crisis for believers in in Jesus. Was it really worth it to follow after Jesus Christ? And because of that personal crisis, there was a church crisis as many were leaving the church because of this personal crisis. So let's just freak out here a moment. There's a theological crisis. It's a political crisis. It's a personal crisis. The crisis of the church. Sounds a lot like 2023 as much as it does the first century, does it not? In 1848, none of those assembled in Mount Lebanon, Louisiana, could imagine the kinds of crises that we face today. But I want to remind you of something. We can't imagine the kind of crises that these first Louisiana Baptists face. Now, speaking of crisis, I just want to mention to you very, very briefly one of the practical crises that face us today. And that's the matter of insurance, specifically the matter of property insurance in our state. We've been at work for you this year. I'm certain that you're aware of this crisis as it relates to property insurance and because of the hurricane, wind and hell and all that kind of thing. Will Hall and I were able to initiate conversations with legislators, which led to the writing of a bill that would allow a self-insurance program for churches and faith-based organizations specifically related to property insurance. The state legislature overwhelmingly, unanimously passed this bill in the last session. We were not as successful as we desired to be and attempted to be in securing some funding to set up the infrastructure that would support this implementation, but we're not giving up. We're continuing to work toward strategies that will make this program a reality. And I dream of one day standing before you, hopefully in the very near future, to tell you that there is a self-insurance program as an alternative for our churches to consider instead of traditional insurance, which only promises escalating premiums higher than affordable deductibles, the very real possibility of churches not securing insurance, which will ultimately lead to the inability to build back after the next hurricane. So we're at work, and we will not quit until there is a viable alternative. Now, you've received an email, and you have received in your packet as messengers a flyer requesting some basic information about your church's insurance history and needs. This information will be kept confidential, but will be helpful in ascertaining how viable this self-insurance program can be for us. And I want you to keep in mind that this is not Louisiana Baptist Convention program. 
but simply a means to offer some help to our convention churches. In fact, this program is going to be open to other denominations and conventions of churches and non-denominational churches and, again, other faith-based organizations. I, I urge you to simply help us right now by submitting some basic information. I think there's a picture of what that looks like in case you have not seen it in your packet. And I hope that you'll help us as we make this next step. So what do we do? What do we do in times like these when we are dealing with what seems like sometimes crisis after crisis after crisis? You're probably tired like I am of saying, what's next? <laughs> so how do, we, how do we survive it? Well, when we realize that we live in a shaken kingdom, in times like these, we need to remind ourselves that there is a kingdom which can never be shaken. Consider the word of the Lord as given to us in Hebrews. In Hebrews chapter 12, verses 25 through 29. It's there that the Bible says, See to it that you do not reject the one who speaks. For if they did not escape when they rejected him who warned them on earth, even less will we if we turn away from him who warns us from heaven. His voice shook the earth at that time, but now he has promised. Yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. Now this expression, yet once more, indicates the removal of what can be shaken. That is, created things so that what is not shaken might remain. Therefore, what do we do? Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful. And by it, we may serve God acceptably with reverence and awe. For our God is a consuming fire. I want to remind you today of several ways that we ought to be responding as recipients of a kingdom that can never be shaken. First of all, we're reminded by this text to continue to let our worship go up. The heart of what the writer to the Hebrews is saying, he's saying to us, let us rejoice. Let us be thankful. When we see this world around us be shaken, but realizing that we are part of a kingdom that can never be shaken, let's just worship. Let's be thankful to the Lord. Verse 28 says that we must serve God with reverence and awe. I, I need to be reminded often that when I worship, I can't worry. It's impossible to worship and worry at the same time. And then once I realize that, then the key to my life in terms of overcoming worry is just be more thankful. Live in a constant state of reverence and at all. I mean, there are lots of things to worry about today. Our convention, I mean, 
There's no sugarcoating this. When we look at statistical ACP results, we are down in every category we measure, except, by the way, undesignated receipts of the accumulation of churches. But everything else we measure, we are down. We worry about a world at war. As we move from this calendar year to next calendar year, we worry about another contentious U.S. presidential election. But again, remind us that when we worship, we worry less. And so we identify in this passage with this public element of, of worship. But I want to remind us that worship doesn't stop with what we do in a gathering like this. But the Bible is clear on the matter that worship goes beyond our goes beyond singing and praying and gathering around the world. A word. When we move into chapter 13, we identify some other characteristics of worship. We identify the fact that worship is as much in our public actions as what we do in a public gathering. Listen to the word of the Lord. Let, let brotherly love continue. When we love our fellow Christians, that is an act of worship. Verse 2, don't neglect to show hospitality, for by doing this, some have welcomed angels as guests without knowing it. And, and that would take some time to unpack all of what is meant in that phrase, but here's what I understand it means. That it is a worshipful act when we love other people. Verse 3, remember those in prison as though you were in prison with them and, and the mistreated. Specifically, I think the writer was referring to those, not any in prison, although we're to love those folks, but he was specific to those who were in prison because of their faith. They're the fellow sufferers. We worship when we love our fellow sufferers. But it's beyond that. It's, it's in our personal actions as we continue. Seems a little odd for this string of instructions and exhortations to come. But he says in verse 4, marriage is to be honored by all and the marriage bed kept undefiled because God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterers. Keep your life free from the love of money. Be satisfied with what you have or he himself has said, I will never leave you or abandon you. It seems to me that the writer of Hebrews is saying, by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, that we worship the Lord in our personal actions. True worship is in our personal actions. When we're holy, when we're set apart, when we're free from the love of money. So we let our worship go up. If you've ever received an email or some kind of correspondence, it is likely that I signed off with this phrase, keep looking up. I admit to you that I stole that from my predecessor as pastor of First Baptist Church Lafayette. That was Brother Perry's signature. We never spoke on the phone where he did not conclude a phone conversation with, keep looking up. 
And he, I heard it so many times, I just, I just almost meditate on that. I think there's an element of that which we are reminded of the scripture. Look up for our redemption. Charles <laughs> nigh. Oh, they should taste it. We ought to be looking up. I think of the psalmist in Psalm 121 when he wrote, I lift up my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. The psalmist's question is not so much a question of despair that he will not find help, but an acknowledgement that he needs help. And the beauty of this psalm, in Psalm 121, is that we find a hope-filled answer to our very honest question, where am I going to find help? And we discover a God who is more than ready to help us. We find the one who is our helper is the one who made heaven and earth. When God is our help, the issue is not the size of our problem. The one who is the maker of heaven and earth is more than sufficient for all of our problems. Think of all of the God moments on mountains. High on Mount Moriah, God provided a ram for Abraham, sparing his only son, Isaac. Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the law. Jesus on the mountain delivered the greatest sermon ever preached on the mountain of transfiguration, as the Gospels call it. God thundered from heaven, this is my beloved son. Of course, on Mount Calvary, Jesus took the full measure of God's wrath for sinners like you and me. Matthew said that it was on the mountain that the Lord delivered to them what the church has called the Great Commission. And from the Mount of Olives, the disciples saw Jesus ascending back to heaven while the angels spoke this promise. This same Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in like manner as you saw him go in to heaven. This is the God who is our help. Why would we look anywhere else for our help? What do we do in these times where we feel a little bit shaken? We are reminded that we are part of a kingdom that can never be shaken. And in that moment, we let our worship go up. But as we continue in this Hebrews text, there is the reminder that not only in these shaken moments of life, do we let our worship go up, but we need to let the word of God continue to come in. Listen to the word of the Lord in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 7 now. Remember your leaders. Why? Who have spoken God's word to you. As you carefully observe the outcome of their lives, imitate their faith. Then a word that all of us know so very well, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And then he says, don't be led astray by various kinds 
of strange teachings. For it is good for the heart to be established by grace. Specific, the Hebrew day, he says then, and not by food regulations, since those who observe them have not benefited. Second way to assure being unshakable in a shaken world is to let the word of God come in to our lives. We have long held as Baptists that we are a people of the book. Our statement of belief, the Baptist faith and message proclaims that kind of commitment and allegiance to the Bible. When it says the Holy Bible was written by men divinely inspired and is God's revelation of himself to man. It is a perfect treasure of divine instruction. It has God for its author, salvation for its end, and truth without any mixture of error for its matter. Therefore, all scripture is totally true and trustworthy. It reveals the principles by which God judges and therefore is and will remain to the end of the world the true center of Christian union and the supreme standard by which all human conduct, creeds, and religious opinions should be tried. All scripture is a testimony to Christ who is himself the focus of divine revelation. We are reminded in this passage of scripture that if we're going to let the word of God come in, we must first of all pay attention to our spiritual leaders who have taught us the word of God. As we celebrate 175 years, think about all of those pastors who've come before us and we stand on their shoulders today as they proclaim the truth of the word of God. We remember those spiritual leaders, but more than that, we remember to pay attention to Jesus. For he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And we are reminded in this passage to pay attention to teachings. I went to a very large high school. I think at the time that I went to Lafayette High School, it was noted as the largest high school in the state of Louisiana. And I learned something very quickly in my opening days as a freshman. You couldn't trust anybody. Campus was laid out where there was a science building and an English building and a history building. And those first days of class, I discovered that there were evil-minded upperclassmen that would send you in the absolute opposite direction of where you needed to go just for fun. Couldn't trust them. But I also discovered that I couldn't trust my fellow freshmen because they were just as confused and lost as I was. I learned in those early days something that we must remind ourselves of today. That though we are thankful for godly people who teach us the word of God, first and foremost, we must know the word of God ourselves. We must follow the map. Trust the map first. 
There are some who would, out of ignorance, lead us in the wrong direction. There are others who pervert God's laws out of deceit for his word. The only way to stay in the truth is to follow the map, the Bible. Whether a person is deceived ignorantly, contrary to the truth, or intentionally distorts the truth, the result is the same. Error. And we must avoid it. The only way to protect ourselves is to immerse ourselves in the Word of God. Again, certainly we are thankful that God uses individuals through preaching and singing and writing to point us to the truth. However, only in knowing and growing in God's Word With the Holy Spirit as our ultimate teacher, will we be able to navigate through the false directions that get sent our way? Remind us today, Louisiana Baptists, to let the Word of God come in. But there's a third word for us here. How do we live in these shaken times? Being part of a kingdom that will never be shaken third word I have for us today, Louisiana Baptists, is that we must let our witness go out. This text reminds us in chapter 13, verse 12, that Jesus was led out of Jerusalem. Symbolically, he was rejected by the establishment. And Jesus now now calls us to go outside the camp. The unshaken kingdom has its future, not inside, but outside the camp. A world in crisis is no time to huddle. Instead, we must break the huddle and go outside the camp. In fact, the greatest crisis that we face today is not war. American or Southern Baptist Convention politics. The greatest crisis that we face today is that 155 persons will die in Louisiana if today's an average day. And if we use the most conservative estimate of missiologists, that 60% of the population of Louisiana is lost That means that 93 of them will go into an eternal hell. That's the crisis of the day. And it's not just the number. It's people. It's your neighbors. It's people you work with. For some of us, it's our family. Today. We, like Jesus, must be willing to bear the burden and bear the reproach. When asked what was different about preaching when he started and at the end of his public preaching ministry, Billy Graham noted nothing. Nothing has really changed in terms of the needs of the people. Whenever or whatever you preach, you must remind them of their sin Speak to them about heaven and hell. Show them to the cross and urge them to come to the Savior. 
when we don't know what else to do, Louisiana Baptists, just go share the gospel. Developing a culture of evangelism so that whether it's corporately through events like YEC, our camps, our strategies like Here For You, our multimedia outreach, our good old-fashioned, one-on-one, soul-winning. We're constantly sharing the gospel. Let's let our witness go out. So far as I see it, there's only three things that are going to last forever. The Bible says that God himself will last forever. And so we give ourselves to him in worship. The Bible says of itself that the word of God remains forever. So we give ourselves to knowing that which will be forever, the word of God. As far as I understand it, it's only one other thing that's going to last forever. That's people. And so we witness at the heart of who we are. We have always been, and hopefully we are today, and will forever be, a soul-winning convention of churches. I implore you, Louisiana Baptist, to pour yourself into these three things. These are the things that brought us together 175 years ago. These are the things still worth cooperating about. I think these are the things that will keep us together. So yes, today is a day to celebrate. Indeed, we celebrate. We celebrate God's faithfulness for 175 years. I'm sure everybody in this room has heard this before. Likely, most of you preachers have used this before. But I love the passion in this piece, and so I'm going to share it with you, even though most of you have heard it before. I, I, I don't know the exact origin. There's different theories about where it came from. I, I like the particular origin being attributed to a group of Athletes at a National Fellowship of Christian Athletes camp in Black Mountain, North Carolina, back in 1966. I've actually been there, so that's why I kind of like that as its origin. But it's a piece called The Fellowship of the Unashamed. Hear it again. I'm part of the Fellowship of the Unashamed. The die has been cast. I have stepped over the line. The decision has been made. I'm a disciple of his. I won't look back, let up, slow down, back away, or be still. My past is redeemed. My present makes sense. My future is secure. I'm finished and done with low living, sight walking, small planning, smooth knees, colorless dreams, tame visions, mundane talking, cheap living, and dwarfed goals. I no longer need preeminence, prosperity, position, promotion, plaudits, or popularity. I don't have to be right, first, tops, recognized, praised, regarded, or rewarded. I will now live by faith, live on his presence, lean on his presence, walk by patience, live by prayer, and labor by power. My face is set. My gate is fast. 
My goal is heaven. My road is narrow. My way is rough. My companions are few. My guide reliable, my, but my mission is clear. I cannot be bought, compromised, detoured, lured away, turned back, deluded, or delayed. I will not flinch in the face of sacrifice, hesitate in the presence of the adversary, negotiate at the table of the enemy, ponder at the pool of popularity, or meander in the maze of mediocrity. I won't give up, shut up, let up until I've stayed up, stored up, prayed up, paid up, and preached up for the cause of Christ. I am a disciple of Jesus. I must go till he comes, give till I drop, preach till all know, and work till he stops. And when he comes for his own, he will have no problem recognizing me. My banner will be clear. Louisiana Baptist of 2023, we are here today because this was the resolve of 13 men 175 years ago. And I'm challenging us today that this must be the same resolve that we have today and for the years to come. We too, like James E. Carter said of them 175 years ago, we too are at a crossroads. Will we, like them, unify around a common cause and move forward together for the cause of Jesus Christ. God bless you, Louisiana Baptist.